Hey, SBCC Digital fam, just wanted to jump on here and say welcome to week four of our Everyone an Icon series. Before we jump in with Ryan and our final week of teaching, we'll hear from our executive pastor, Matt Graybill, about some things happening in the life of our church. Today is also the Eucharist, and so if you want to join us from wherever you are, go ahead and grab some sort of cracker and some sort of juice or wine. And when we get to that point, I will jump back on here with some instructions. But before we do that, before we hear the teaching, let's join with Matt Graybill. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, often I don't get an opportunity to be on stage, and I kind of like it that way. Um, kind of being behind the scenes as an executive pastor, I get to connect with our staff team, lead our staff team, and kind of help turn vision into reality in terms of our day-to-day life. But really glad to be able to be here with you this morning. If you've been coming the past couple weeks or even months, then you might not know a guy named Jason Miller. Uh, he is our lead pastor who's on sabbatical uh, through the gift of the Lilly uh, Foundation. We have a grant that he's able to take a sabbatical this summer. Um, and I say that because people have been asking me, like, hey, how are things going at the church uh, without Jason there? And I want to say, great. Uh, our staff team's doing really well. I'm really proud of our staff team. Um, I'm really grateful for our community, um, what we've been able to do together. Um, sometimes leaders think so highly of themselves that they never take a break. And so I think uh, kudos to Jason for being able to not only trust the staff, but the community. But it also speaks to our community in terms of who we are, in terms of resilience, and just really grateful for all of you who that volunteer and give and support um, to go through this summer. And, and actually, it's been a really great summer. A couple of things to tell you about this summer. Um, there is a flyer kind of sheet out there in the lobby that you can pick up with a few dates. Next weekend, we will not be here. We uh, are taking a break as a staff and as volunteers because we realize we're not machines. We are people and we need a moment to just rest. And so that's next week. The following week, we'll be gathering here together at our normal times, July 10th. And then afterwards, if you want to join us, we'll be at the uh, Cubs game. You can go online and you can go through the What's Happening uh, section on our website at southbendcitychurch.com. Uh, $15 gets you a ticket to the ball game and a buffet meal, so you can go right after the gathering. Uh, it opens up two hours ahead of time, so we just want to do that as a way to just connect and be with one another. We'll have a section all to ourselves, so we'd love to have you join us for that. And then another date I want to put your um, attention to is on August 7th, we have an all-church picnic at Fort Wentz Field. There won't be a game, but it's an opportunity for us to gather all together. And then in November, we've been talking about uh, peacemaking pilgrimages. We have one that's going to Israel-Palestine um, and would love for you to join us. You can go to the website and actually apply for that trip as well as we look at how do we be peacemakers, not only in our own context, but learn from other people around the world. So a few updates that I'd love to give you. Uh, I have good news, bad news, and then some answers to maybe a few possible questions. Um, we've promised as a team and as a church just to be transparent with you about numbers. Um, and so every quarter we're talking about our financials. I also want to give you a few updates in terms of where we're at with our Tribune building project. You may not know if you've just joined us that we are looking at purchasing or we are purchasing the Tribune building downtown. Uh, staying in this facility is no longer an option for us. So uh, some good news there. Uh, let me give you a few updates. 
So total project pledges, uh, one point, a little over 1.7 million. Um, this includes one-time gifts, and so that's really quite amazing, guys. Like to think of our community this way. Yeah, you can give a hand for that. Um, already given to that, which is also equally as amazing. Uh, over $700,000 so far has been given to this project. That's from 194 families and individuals, which is, your generosity is astounding. And I know there's a lot of people in this community that's like, is this even gonna happen? And to be able to see that outpouring is tremendous. Uh, with all of that, we're actually able to do a phase one of the project, which allows us to go into the whole first floor um, and make that space available for gathering and kids. Uh, we also found out this week that we have pre-approval for a loan for 2.5 million, which is pretty awesome. That still has some uh, processes to work out, but the other cool thing with that is they've maintained the same rate uh, that we when we started this process. So yeah, you can clap for that. A bunch of uh, great news there. In this process, we've been doing due diligence. Uh, a few things that be great for you to know. All the environmental inspections came back clean, which it's an old printing press building that was like one of our concerns. Um, so they did air quality checks and core sample drillings. I've become really familiar with all the environmental <laughs> uh, things, but that was like really, really great news to just see that that was clear. We have had community partners and city partners walk through the space, really excited about that process. We're working on the full design as we go. So that's all really, really great news. Uh, shifting over to some bad news. Actually, this is really great news. Total giving for this year is over 900,000, which is actually the most that has ever been given in half a year in South Bend City Church's history, which is simply amazing. Um, the bad news is while our overall giving has been great, our general fund giving has dropped. Uh, last quarter, we talked about this being like uh, air pressure light on the dashboard saying, hey, we need to check this out. I would say right now, this is like a check engine light coming on and that we really need to pay attention to. So as we've been talking with our staff and our board, uh, one of the things that changes that we made previous to this is actually changing our fiscal year from uh, December, January through December to actually June through July. So we're actually stepping into a, a new budget season. And so because of this uh, deficit, we are gonna need to make some significant cuts. Our budget's made up of ministry, operational, and personnel costs. And so we're looking at all of those things to be able to look at, hey, how can we trim this cost? The good news is that we've actually saved money to be able to create a place that we can actually survive in this period. But we also know we can't stay here. We need to think about what that looks like moving forward. Uh, a few questions as to probably why. Well, let me, yeah, let me hit this. So number of total donors at South Bend City Church is 251. Um, general fund donors is 193. And new donors year to date is 57. I really want to celebrate that because right now our attendance is around averaging around 300 people gathering. And so thinking about how many people uh, give to what's happening in the life of our church is really, really amazing. You've probably also heard Jason talk about there are about 20 to 25 donors that make up about 80% of our overall giving. Uh, some of that has changed because there's a few people that have just gone through life circumstances that they're not able to give as much. 
But the positive news is we have more people in our community that are showing generosity. It's just not meeting where we are. So we just need to make some changes uh, that way. So a few answers to questions that you might have. One might be, why the heck are you pursuing a building uh, when you're in this uh, $100,000 deficit? And the answer to that is we would still be in the same position if we are in this location uh, that we are today. So that's, um, that's the reality of where we would be. Another question is like, like, what are you doing about it? So in short, there's a couple things that we're doing about it. One, we're planning, budgeting for the future, uh, looking at an honest cost of where we're at and where we need to be. We also applied for five grants, which we're not like totally banking on, but we're also doing our part to say, hey, if these would come through, this would be a game changer in our community. Like you, this second quarter has felt pretty heavy, maybe in your business or even personal life. And just realizing like, we do not want to live with the spirit of fear, but we also want to be realistic with where we're at. And I appreciate that our community leans into these hard conversations. This is one of those like fields, not factories moments that we're able to like dive in together and remind ourselves that we're not a factory. We can't control things, uh, but we can respond to what's growing, what needs pruning, and this is a season where we look at pruning. Um, even in my own life in their backyard, we have this beautiful tree and a storm came and cracked it and uh, it felt like, oh shoot, I don't even know what type of tree it is, but it's like, it has this beautiful blossom and I tried like bandaging it and like putting stuff around it and I'm like watering it more. Um, and then like, there's like only a couple leaves that were still hanging on for dear life. And then eventually I was like, you know what, I just gotta actually chop this thing down. So chopped it down, but then the other week, there's this sprout that's coming up from this stump. And I just find it so beautiful. And for me, that was a real encouragement to what faith is often like in our uh, own lives, where it's like, there's a mystery here that can't quite control, um, but see something really beautiful happening. And so I feel like in our community, something beautiful wants to happen here, um, but we need to pay attention to the seasons that we're in. And realizing, uh, you might be in a season right now, one question we ask our staff team is, what season are you in? Are you in like a winter fallow season? Are you in a harvest season? Are you in a tilling the ground season? Um, and I imagine for many of you, the past couple of weeks, months have had a variety of feelings associated with that. And I uh, feel like it's timely that today we're actually being able to gather around um, with the Eucharist and communion realizing that we can bring all of those things to the table. I asked our volunteers and staff earlier today, what, what's one word to describe what you're bringing today? And there is anger, there is fear, there is sadness. In some cases, there's celebration and there's joy. And so there's a variety of things that we all have bringing in here today, but I appreciate that we're able to come together and we're able to gather in this community we don't have to land in a spirit of fear. All right, normally I would never cut Matt off, but he jumps into the logistics around what it looks like to take Eucharist in our specific space at Studebaker 112. And since I will be giving you instructions in the queue later, I figured I would take this opportunity to jump in and transition us to Ryan. Like I said, this is the fourth week. It's also the final week of our Everyone and Icon series. So let's jump in with Ryan Yazel as he takes us into this week's teaching.
Um, today, as we move on, we're, we're into our last week of Everyone an Icon, and one of the things this series has pointed out to me is just how much um, this is a fraught conversation. As we talk about loving our enemies and extending grace to our enemies and to ourselves and to everybody, uh, I keep hearing back from people how painful these conversations have been. Uh, because when we talk about loving enemies, it is uh, typically uh, very often not a faceless idea, right? Like as we're talking about these things, people come to mind, people who have hurt us, people who have caused deep wounds for us uh, is what's coming into mind. And so I wanna emphasize that as we continue on this conversation, um, one, that I see you and I hear you and I'm thankful for the bravery and thankful that you share with us. Two, just wanna emphasize uh, that as we talk about loving others and extending grace and kindness and reconciliation to other people uh, and to ourselves, that uh, uh, we don't intend for anybody to continue in abusive situations or return into abusive situations. Uh, so just making and drawing a very clear line there. Um, that you need to make sure that you are able to have some good boundaries that keep you safe as well in these conversations. Fair enough? All right. Uh, so this is, again, is the last week of Everyone Icon. This is a message, honestly, I've been excited about for months. It was back in December. I was reading through uh, scripture one day and came across a phrase in it that just kind of jumped off the pages to me. Um, it messed with me, and I've been processing it ever since. I've practically had this sermon pre-written in my head since December, right? It was like already, I was like, oh, this is going to be the easiest one. In fact, I planned this whole series because I wanted to preach this sermon today. So I was so excited about it, knew everything I was going to talk about. And then this week happened, and life happened. And I feel like the whole world is topsy-turvy, turned upside down. The word that I shared when Matt asked us how we were doing today is I feel disoriented, uh, it feels like another example of our polarized world getting ripped apart. And so many of us are feeling so many different things. And I've heard from so many different groups of people about how people are feeling. Uh, for some, this is a week and a day uh, celebrating the victory of the preservation of life. That life and all life is to be celebrated. Uh, I was raised with a deep respect for human life, both born and unborn. And for many people of good conscience, this week is a week of relief and a culmination of years of social activism for a good that they deeply believe in, which is the preservation of life. I've heard from others, though. Uh, I've heard from women and people thinking and concerned about women and the pain of what these realities m mean for women. Uh, women who are yet again required to carry more than their fair share of burden in the world, Women who now live in fear that after moments where they may be victims of trauma, but they will have no choice but to extend that trauma throughout a lifetime. And many times things like adoption are brought up, and I'm a big fan as an adoptive parent. I'm a big fan of the possibilities there. But I don't think people fully understand, as somebody who's walked through as a foster and adoptive parent, has walked through multiple adoptive situations, I don't think people understand the pain and trauma connected with asking someone to give birth to a child. Uh, even people who intended adoption from the beginning to give birth to a child and then to have to part with that child is no easy ask. And we need to understand that there is pain and trauma involved in all of these scenarios that set before us. So I've heard from the pain there. And then I've heard from pain from my LGBTQ friends uh, who are walking through life already feeling uh, marginalized and on the edge 
of things in society a lot, who see uh, other people who thought that they had rights taken from them and feel threat that maybe their possibility for marriage or maybe the marriages that they're already walking in won't be able to exist for very much longer. And so they are feeling pain and threat in the midst of that situation as well. Which is also a good reminder, uh, this is the end of June, this is the end of Pride Month. Um, I had, and I just want to speak this because for so much of my life I had no understanding of what Pride Month was or what it was all about. Honestly, uh, I used to think it was like uh, school spirit week, uh, but for like a school I didn't go to, and so I, like I didn't really get it. And then the word pride had all these meanings for me, and so I was like, oh, this is like another school that also thinks they're better than my school, and so then there was all that like weirdness and tension. But what I've grown to understand is this is not like a spirit week, this is more like uh, a civil rights month. Right? It's a month that the word pride can be maybe more adequately translated as dignity and understanding. Right? This is a month where people remember that throughout life they have constantly told that they are not okay, that they are not welcome, that they are not allowed the same types uh, of loving situations that others are able to pursue, the same types of family connections, even uh, the same types of hospital visitation or healthcare as the people that they love. But we're talking about uh, friends who uh, LGBTQ youth are three times more likely to take their own life than other youth at large. Uh, people who have carried a heavy burden and walked through heavy forms of societal ostracism and oppression through life. And so pride is a time where we come together to remember the difficulty of putting one foot in front of another, to remember the dignity and the goodness and the everyone an icon in every single person. That's what we're talking about when we talk about Pride Month. And while we as a church have a lot of people in here that are in all different places of understanding of the theology uh, of LGBT in inclusion, I hope that as a church at South Bend City Church, we can all agree on the everyone and icon part, that the goodness and dignity of God is in every single person and we have a responsibility to pursue empathy and understanding and walk with caring kindness with everybody. Yeah? All right. Uh, with all those things and all those different feelings on top of it, it feels like we're also just all missing each other. That we're missing each other in our conversations. We're labeling and excluding each other and putting people into boxes. I've seen people throw out terms like baby murderers and terms like women hating fascists as though there is never good intent that can exist on the other side of people that are legitimately seeking goodness for our world. We end up with a world where we are unfollowing each other, we are blocking each other, we are further isolating ourselves from any hope of understanding each other and isolating ourselves from any hope of finding the collective beloved community that Dr. King talked about. So that's this week. <laughs> and into that, now I'm scheduled to preach the sermon that I've been looking forward to forever and then also lead us into to the communion table, which is a central practice of unity in our faith tradition. So thanks, Jason, for the timing on that. Uh, if you haven't gotten to know Jason, our lead pastor, he's fantastic um, on his sabbatical, as Matt mentioned. Uh, Jason talks about when he writes his sermons, uh, his sermon, he's a songwriter, and he talks about his sermons as songs in a way. That's how he thinks about it and flows through uh, what it means to, to process things for him. For me, my, my teaching often is these logical roadmaps is kind of how I think about it, leading from one point to another, like on a journey of discovery, if you will. I'm a very logical person. Um, but today, I feel uh, detached from the logic 
I, I feel detached from a plan. I feel just all the feelings and these logical plans feel so distant and unsatisfying. So today, uh, I'm not going to offer you, uh, even attempt to offer you some cohesive lo logical roadmap to discovery. Uh, today, I just want to offer a quick point of encouragement and hope. Uh, today, I won't be much of a preacher. Uh, I hope to be more of a pastor uh, as we're understanding we're all just processing something together and hopefully we can find a little bit of hope in the story of Jesus. Uh, so, all that said, I'm going to take you back to December and ask you to join me as I'm reading the Christmas story. <laughs> Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go too and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose uh, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right, so that's as close as you're going to get to Christmas in July. It's Christmas in the last week of June. All right, so there you go. Uh, so as you're, you're seeing the story, uh, it's set in the context uh, as Jesus is entering into our world, right? And it's set in the context of the people of Israel are in what they know as the promised land, but they have been taken over and occupied by the Roman Empire who is now occupying and oppressing them in their own land, right? And in charge of their area of the Roman Empire where they are, there is a power-indulged king who ends up trying to kill all the infant boys of Israel in an effort to preserve his power. All right, now anybody who would hear this part of the story would have understood that this is a familiar story. This is a callback to a story that they already know. This is a callback to a very familiar story. This happened once before. This power-hungry king who's slaughtering all the toddler boys to preserve his power, right? And when it happened, it happened in the story of the people of Israel who were in Egypt, and we're talking about the time of Moses, and we're talking about the Exodus, and we're talking about the king in charge was Pharaoh who were slaughtering the young children of Israel to make sure that he was able to maintain his power. So as they would be starting to hear this story, as they're starting to hear the story that's being told of Jesus coming into Rome and Herod who's slaughtering all the people— they would have been, to use a word we use all the time now, they would have been triggered, right? They would have been triggered realizing that this is a painful situation that they had been through before, and now it seems like it's happening again. Uh, throughout the story of the Bible, there's really four big bad guys in the Bible. They're all empires, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, and Egypt. All of these empires had this uh, tendency that's described over and over to force ahead their goals at the expense of others, which meant that they became sources of oppression for other people. And these stories, these, these four bad guys, these four empires would show up time and time again throughout the scripture, and we see that Egypt was the worst. Because 
the people of Israel were enslaved by Egypt for more than 400 years. That tends to be a formative part of your, your uh, story of your people, right? It was. So anytime throughout their stories moving forward, whenever their stories of feeling trapped or feeling lost, they always pointed back to Egypt, right? Like, God, how are we going to ever get out of this situation? Our enemies are mistreating us. Our enemies are mistreating us just like they used to mistreat us back in Egypt, right? Whenever they're going through frustrating things, the easiest thing to do is point back to the time that they felt it the most, pointing back to Egypt, And on the other side of that, whenever God was being asked to bring deliverance, whenever God was asked to bring freedom, whenever God's goodness was coming into the world, they would point back to the exodus, to the time that even though they were in the darkest days, when things looked the bleakest, when things looked like they couldn't possibly get any worse, that God showed up for them, God heard their cries, and God set them free. So when they're going through life and they they feel like they don't know what to do, they don't know what to do with their kids, they don't know what to do with their job, they don't want to do as a people, whenever things are at their worst, they're saying, God, I need you to step in here and set us free just like you did back in the Exodus in Egypt, right? They were always pointing back to these moments where Exodus was the most meaningful part of their experience. You couldn't, or when Egypt, you couldn't say Egypt without people wanting to boo and throw things. That's how influential it was. And now it's happening again. The story is repeating itself. The thing that they feared most was happening again. Now, before we continue, I want to pause for a second. Uh, Does anybody know, before the people became enslaved in Egypt, how did the people of Israel show up in Egypt? How did they get there? Anybody? This is open floor on this one. What's that? Joseph. Yes, Joseph. So back in the story of Joseph, uh, the whole land, the whole world at the time was going through a massive famine. There was a food shortage, right? And the people of Israel were actually saved, taken in and comforted and fed and saved by Egypt. Not only were they saved, they were allowed to survive, but they began to thrive, which ended up causing the problems for them down the road. But in a polarized world, we tend to want to sort everyone and everything into boxes of good or bad, friend or enemy. Life is all, often so much more messy and complicated than that, though, isn't it? Yeah, how many times is anybody totally good or totally bad? It's often messier than that. And I want to just pause for a second and ask, how does that affect how we view others? Or how does that affect how we view ourselves when we get into these black and white places where everybody is all one thing or all the other? All right, back to the story. Because ultimately, uh, even though Egypt wasn't all bad, had done some good things, they became bad and they did some really bad things. They enslaved the people of Israel. They did behave very badly. And now it's happening again, except instead of, Israel, or instead of Egypt doing this, now Rome is doing this and Rome is threatening to kill Jesus just like Egypt threatened to kill Moses. We pick up the story in Matthew 2, verses 13 and 14. So when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to... All right, I need a drum roll. Egypt, escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Egypt? Heck no. Like, what, God, what are you doing? Sending Jesus to Egypt? 
this story would have been triggering to the people reading it because they would have been like, oh man, this feels like Egypt. This feels like Egypt all over again. And then God's like, okay, it feels like Egypt all over again. Where am I going to send, send my son for safety? Let's send him to Egypt. Of all the places God could have sent Jesus for safe haven, God allowed Egypt to be the hero? This is the thing that last December, like, struck me. And I was like, oh, no. Like, no, 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 no. Like, why does Egypt, after all they've done, why does Egypt get to be the hero? And that, I don't have great answers to that. <laughs> Except that I think that God is trying to make a point here. That we are our present and not our past. In this polarized world, it's so easy to have an experience with somebody and to put a label on them to hang that scarlet letter, to file them in the appropriate cabinet, to shut the door, to unfriend, to unfollow, to shut them out, to move on. Uh, I'm guilty of this. As I look at my life, the amount of times that somebody's hurt me or frustrated me or said something, uh, and I've just said, I'm done with you, and I just close that door, I close that window, and move on. But beyond doing that, like, I'm mortified that people are doing that to me, right? I'm terrified that people, out, there are people out there that just remember me as I was in high school. <laughs> that terrifies me. <laughs> or in college, for that matter. Or that time that I said that really insensitive thing. And I talk a lot, people, so like I've said insensitive things. Or that extreme moment or period of selfishness, right, that people saw. And what if that's all they think about me? What if that's all they know of me? What if they've closed the door on me and shut me out and I'm forever trapped in that place for them? So here's the thing, though. As we see in this story, if we're going to process the story, we have to recognize that no matter who you are, or who they are, and no matter what you've done or what they've done, we can at least start with understanding that like, it's not worse than Egypt, right? It's not worse than Egypt. So as we look at this story, Egypt was really bad. Again, one of the top four bad guys in the Bible. Egypt was really bad. Literally, when God chose to tell the story of God ridding the entire world of pure evil once and for all, God latched on the story of Egypt as the analogy, right? Like, Egypt is bad, and yet in spite all of that, God included Egypt in the story moving forward. So we acknowledge something, and we recognize that God acknowledged something. First of all, Egypt wasn't Egypt anymore, right? Egypt had changed. Egypt wasn't Egypt anymore. Actually, like, Rome was Egypt, <laughs> Egypt was no longer the empire enslaving and oppressing other people like Rome was now. Egypt had changed. Egypt had reformed. Egypt had turned a new leaf. Now Egypt was a center of culture, of education, of empowerment, right? There, Egypt was actually full of Hebrew people. We're told that Paul was uh, educated in Alexandria, right? Egypt had a lot of good empowering things going for it. Egypt was no longer Egypt. Egypt had changed. And so God made Egypt the hero. And in that, I think God wants us to know that no one is too far gone for redemption. 
No one is ever just their past. I wore this shirt today that I got from the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. It's a quote from Brian Stevenson, a civil rights and human rights lawyer. You may recognize Brian from the book Just Mercy or for the movie of the same name. Um, and it says just this, each of us is more than the worst thing that we've ever done. Right? We are not our past. We are our present. And so we prepare to come together today in our present selves to the Eucharist table, the communion table. And I just ask, what does it look like for us to come together from all of our different places and to walk forward to the table with Jesus? Not just the table with Jesus, but the table with each other. Right? We are coming together to share a meal. What does it look like for us to leave the opportunity for each other to be more than the worst that we have been? Yeah? But Ryan, some might say, I just heard that from the crowd, somebody shouted it. But Ryan, it's not just about the past. Okay, you can say we're not all our past, we are our present. But there's people that in the present are in bad places. There are people that in the present are still in places uh, that are hurtful to me or that I don't like. It's not just the past. Sometimes it's the present and even in this room right now, potentially. Well, my question then is, what does it look like for us to come to the communion table as an act of hope? Recognizing that even if we find ourselves in different places, we are not stuck in those places. That change is possible and that there's a future possible beloved community that Dr. King talked about that we might find ourselves into in the future. And so we come to the table as an act of hope for those places we might find ourselves down the road. But Ryan, you might say, it's not just about other people and where they're at. It's about me too, and I'm not in a good place right now. I've got stuff inside of me. If you knew what was going on inside of me, it's not about my past, it's about my present and the stuff I have going on right now. Two things I would say to that. One, uh, let's let today be the day where change begins. Let's let today be the day where you're able to take that first step forward into walking away from the destructive habits and patterns and the things that have been pulling you down and pulling others down around you. Let today be the first step in that journey. Talk to God about it. Talk to somebody you came with or a friend about it. Call them up this afternoon. Talk about what it looks like to take that first small, small step forward. You can talk to me about it too. I'd love to talk to you. But the second thing is this. Let's consider the origin of the Eucharist table. It's the Last Supper, right? The thing that we're going to say here in a second is a story that we've been given to us. Was that Jesus, when? On the night that he was betrayed, was eating dinner with the disciples, right? And in that dinner, at that dinner table, uh, Jesus said, the one who is going to betray me is one who is here with me right now. At that dinner table, Jesus shared his dinner table with the one who would betray him. Not just was going to, but was already enacting the plans for it. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus still invited and shared his dinner table with Judas. So wherever you are, even if you're in the midst of your darkest moments, I want you to know this table here is a table of grace. And that even if you're not where you want to be, even if you're in the midst of it now, Jesus invites you to share the goodness of the table. So let's move forward towards this goodness and this grace together. 
Uh, I want to invite those who are sharing uh, communion in the Eucharist to join me on stage as we proceed together. This is the story that we've been given, that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, was eating with his disciples. And he took the bread when he was with them, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you come together and do this, remember me. In the same way, uh, when they had finished dinner, Jesus took the cup and extended it to them. He said, this cup is the new promise that I'm making to you in my blood, with my life. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the sacrifice you made for us. Uh, not a sacrifice made in foolishness, but a, a sacrifice made with eyes open that you extend your goodness to us no matter where we are. We thank you for the love that you show us. We thank you for the grace you extend to us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. you can stand and proceed to one of the corners. So I know Ryan just gave instructions for the room, but this is the time in which if you have your crackers and your wine or your juice, would you just take a minute to reflect on this as the music plays and take the elements and know that this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.
have you stand with me. Just want to remind you one more time that next week there is no gathering as we're having our week of Sabbath together. So uh, find whatever way you can to rest and experience the grace and peace of God in that way. Uh, As we end today, just want to remind you and pray this over you, that may you know that no matter who you are or what you've done or what you've experienced, that God reaches out to you, not with a label to hang around your neck, but with an offer of goodness and love and invitation to you. And may you feel that goodness and peace and extend that grace to others that you come into contact with as we welcome each other to the table with Jesus. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great week.